chosen for our text a single phrase, three words. It's the last phrase of verse 30 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm sorry, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. someone yesterday over the on the subject of abortion seems as though it's necessary for me to explain to some people what I think about abortion as though I haven't made a plan about what I think about it at any rate I ventured that abortion like many other causes has become for many Christians and professing Christians a singular focus of their life and therefore has overwhelmed almost all other Christian, legitimate, biblical Christian activities in their lives. I'm in favor of the environment but I do not identify myself with the with the extremes to which environmentalists some carry themselves. 
in favor of protecting animals, but I do not identify myself with the extremists of that movement. I'm opposed to abortion, but I will not identify myself with the extremists in that movement. It's really strange that the abortion movement, this has nothing to do with what I want to talk about, it's really strange that the abortion movement has so taken over the minds of Christendom that many people's Christianity is gauged by to what extreme or extent they will participate in the movement. There are really Christians who who believe that if you are not an active anti-abortionist with the picketing and the marching and all the other things, that you just can't possibly be a Christian. Well, I want to tell you this evening that there are times when we are to commit ourselves to the point of the point of addiction. But none of the things that I mentioned are the times or the, or the, or the causes for those things. I used this statement by the Apostle Paul to bring us to, a, to an understanding of how we are put together. If you just turn over one, one chapter, really, to the 16th chapter, there is a word which is rendered in the King James addicted, which others have translated devoted. And the word which is used in the original language, at least in the language of the text from which the King James Bible has been tra was translated, is a word which, etoxon, which, which is a Greek word which means self-appointed. Uh, it would be, it would be, it would have as its root and as its basic meaning and carry with it the notion of a deliberate and willful action of some kind. Here the Apostle Paul speaks of well, let's read it. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they, that is Stephanus' house, have addicted themselves devoted themselves, appointed themselves to the ministry of the saints. Here's the problem. The problem is that our frame is such that we easily can become single-minded about almost anything almost to the point of a fixation, to the point of nearly possession of our thoughts, to the point of addiction. We can become single-minded, often do. I use those causes just to point out that, but, but there are others. I mean, you, you can see, uh, you, you, can, you can dislike a person, and if you concentrate on it and, so, and, appoint, and appoint yourself to consider it constantly, it will possess you. I'll eat you up. You can, uh, you can seize upon a single fact from a great body of truth and, and concentrate on it, willfully put your mind to it, to the exclusion of all other things, or nearly all, to the exclusion of all other things, and, and it will possess you. That's how, by the way, that is how extremes occur, have occurred in Christianity, just on that basis alone, on the on the seizing of a single thing, pointing one's, pointing one's mind to it, so it possesses one's mind and one's thoughts, it becomes addicted to it, it becomes possessed by it, by that thought. 
that's true. That's how drinkers become alcoholics. That's how deceivers become pathological liars. That's how womanizers become womanizers. Pedophiliacs or necrophiliacs become what they are. That's how all these things happen. From a willful giving over of one's mind to almost a singular path. People have developed great animosity and hatred for other people based upon a single flaw than in the other person, a single event. The, the imperfection of someone else has caused other imperfect people or another imperfect person to become so single-minded about that person's imperfection that it develops into a possessive system of thought. Very dangerous. Becomes so singular in one's view. But the Bible speaks of being addicted to Christ, and that is not a singular thing. Jesus Christ is a singular person, but addiction to the service of Jesus Christ is not a singular thing. But one cannot become that way unless he appoints himself. He, he willfully, by the action of his own mind, brings himself to the place where he is willing to give up himself on behalf of someone else. And that's why Paul says, I die daily. It is the daily giving up of himself for the gaining of someone else, or the gains of someone else. And it's a daily thing because it is giving oneself over to Christ and to the claims of Christ and to the doctrines of to the redemptive work of Christ, and for the hope in Christ, and, and, and the love that one has in Christ, the gains from being in Christ, and all those other things, the fruit of the Spirit, which, uh, which is a, a, a tremendous gain, but it's not a gain that we, by reason of our own nature, desire. The things about Christ are not desired by us naturally. Therefore, it takes a deliberate and willful exercise of the will. Every day, to uh, renew one's commitment to Christ. That's what Paul means when he says, I, I did give up of myself to gain what Christ has to give me. Very important truth. The, the uh, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe in a moment, if we can, we'll deal with what happens when one has become addicted in the wrong direction and, and hasn't died daily to Christ but is possessed in thought or an art of, of uh, more narrow views of things. How does one how does one get cured of that? We'll talk about that. But I, as long as we're on this particular subject, I would like you to look at uh, a very well known passage of scripture, Galatians, the second chapter, twentieth verse, which is simply a statement by the Apostle Paul, which expands upon this little phrase, "I die daily," which he made in our text. He said, "I'm crucified with Christ." Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ liveth in me. We have a song that we sing that says that. Christ liveth in me. But Christ will not live in or through anyone 
until first that one dies unto Christ. I am crucified with Christ, he said. I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I die daily. Think about this. We put a lot of things into our brains. Lots of stuff goes into our minds. Sometimes we deliberately and willfully put it there, allow it to be put there. That's an act of the will when we allow it. And sometimes, just by reason of our proximity to it, it gets there. I think you know what I mean. I am um, pretty impressed with the with the degree in which evangelical Christianity has declined. And I say that across the boards denominationally, including our denomination. I think part of the reason why is because of the things I mentioned earlier. The spurious causes, which really, while they may have some Bible basis for their concern, have gotten out of hand and out of control. The political movements within the Christian denominations. All the things which can be rationalized to be very good and very needful, and which if we do not engage ourselves in them, we will be overwhelmed by the world as though Christians have never been overwhelmed by the world before. (coughs) But our decline, and it is a decline, whether you want to admit it or not, not that I can pontificate from a higher, loftier perch than you. I, it's, it, again, I, I, w- I was talking to someone yesterday who was a Christian who, who was a generation younger than I. And uh, I explained to him some Christian ethic that, that existed when I was a young man and when, and when I was first saved and, or even within the brand of Christianity in which I was raised. <coughs> And that ethic doesn't exist at all today. It's totally, it's not part of any Christian lifestyle that I know of. Now, that does not mean to say that the ethic that it was was so valuable that if one didn't have it, he would be a lesser Christian. But there are a lot of things which which have changed in the ethical behavior of Christians. I'll give you an example. I've, I've mentioned this before, and I'll just mention it again. My, we had a, a movie that Jerry picked up. Uh, I'd never looked at, it was a tape, uh, video. Uh, I never looked at the rating of that tape. I had an actor in that I liked. And, uh, we, Jerry and I alone, stuck it in our machine and began to watch it. It was, you know, the kind of storyline I like. And a little violence, but not so terribly bad guys get it in the end. And, you know, the kind of thing you like to see happen. But we're very far into the movie when the four-letter word for sexual intercourse was used. I cringed. I had my finger on the fast-forward button because I figured if it comes up again, I'm going to hit that button. I, it came up so many times I would have gotten paralyzed. But 
par uh, a paralyzed thumb. So, so I did the next best thing. I just shut it off. And I must tell you that uh, using myself as an example, God's been good to me. I've managed to keep that kind of language out of my workplace. People don't use that language around me at work, which is unusual, especially in the construction industry. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. I, they don't swear, and if they do, they, they get quickly corrected. And uh, in fact, I had to correct my boss <laughs> just the other day, because he swore. He swore, actually, really literally swore to God's name in vain. And I said, you're going to Passover. You should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. You know, a good Jew won't even say God's name in reverence. Never mind swear. Say, but he didn't swear anymore after that. And he'll be very—he's very circumspect around me. But but here's my point, and I'm not saying that in any bragging way. It's—I'm blessed with that kind of atmosphere, so I don't, because that's the kind of atmosphere that should exist in the workplace, and it certainly should exist in the home. It certainly should exist in the mind of Christians. Christians should hate. They should positively despise and hate the filthy language that is so pervasive in our society at all levels today. They should hate it. But we don't hate it. We don't hate it because, because we tolerate it. We pay to hear it. We pay money to hear it. And we become desensitized. We tolerate it more and more, and as a result of that, we become desensitized. I don't, I don't say that we necessarily become addicted to hearing that language. But we come, become used to hearing it to, to at least to the, some, many of us to a great extent that we just tolerate it. We, we kind of blow it off. It sort of like rolls off us. We don't pay much attention anymore. I, and I do believe that it's, it's, a, that it's a willful and deliberate act that we allow these things to happen to us. I don't think that... I mean, I know Satan's behind it, but, but the fact is that Satan is the enemy of our souls and, and the things that he does to us to get us to be less like Christ and more like him are things that we should constantly be on our guard for. And certainly, certainly, we need to understand that we ought to die daily. You know, no one has to set out a set of rules for you if you die daily to Christ. If you die daily to Christ, you will absolutely be appalled at some of the things that you are not appalled at now. The lack of sensitivity to sin, not your own sin, but to the sin that's around you all the time, which ultimately will become your sin, is one of the great declines in Christianity today. See, Christianity in 1993 does not at all, at all, resemble Christianity in 1943. There's no comparison. You couldn't even begin to compare for a lot of reasons. But the primary reason is that, that there were fewer Christians in proportion to the whole, fewer professing Christians, that born-again Christians were a, were a severe minority in this country, those who profess to be born again, as opposed to those who profess to be born again today who comprise a substantial minority. Uh, and, and they were substantially less in proportion to the total population because they were definitely more committed. Definitely. Their lives were committed to Christ. They knew what it was to die to sin and die to the world and live for Christ. They died daily. If you, you, you 
parents in the command generation, those of you who have young adult children, you, you ought to sit down sometime and talk to them about their views of, of sexual activity. Nah, I'm not talking about necessarily sexual intercourse, but, but you ought to talk to them about it. They, if you can ever get them to talk to you frankly about it, they're going to blow your socks off. You're going to be appalled at what they think is okay. As Christians, you're going to be appalled. You, you will be incredulous, as I am incredulous. That's a, there's a, this, what this portends is, you know, I, I, preachers could stand up and, and, and talk about the next generation of Christians and, you know, what are they going to be like? <laughs> we don't have to talk about the next generation of Christians and what they're going to be like. Talk about our generation. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And I just talked about the obvious sins of the flesh, you know, the hearing, the saying, the seeing, which are very potent and powerful areas of potential sin. I don't mean to minimize that. But when you get beyond that and you get to the sins of the heart, and if the heart, which is the seat of all, acts of the will, if the heart has not been used to dying daily, committing every day to Jesus Christ, one day at a time, then it will become a cesspool. Not just for immoral, sexual immoral, sexually immoral thoughts. Forget that for the moment. We, well, that's a given. We, we, you know, we all know that. But all kinds of other thoughts. The intolerances, the the unforgivingnesses, the, the angers, even hatred. It's not a question only of lacking the fruit of the Spirit love, but oftentimes it's a question of possessing quite the opposite of it. I doubt very much that it's possible for someone who professes to be a Christian to be passive about nearly anything at all. Because the mind is, and heart is always actively engaged in something. So it becomes impossible to be passive. It's true that we have varying interests in the things that you may have an interest in that I do not have an interest in. I may be passive about that, but I assure you that some of the things that you may not have an interest in that I do what you are passive about, I will not be passive. And so the, the heart and the mind is not a passive instrument. It's, it's, it's the seat of the soul. It requires, it requires action. You, good men and women don't go down the tube because they've done nothing. They go down the tube because they've done plenty. They've opened their minds, their hearts, willfully and willingly, to allow the movement in of things which will ultimately take them down. It's an act of the will. It's not an accident. 
You can't say Satan made me do it. It's a serious matter. We, we need to address what we are and where we are and the scale of, of, of who we are <laughs> for Jesus Christ. I, you, can't, you, you can look at history. You can look at Christian history. You can look at church history. You can look at Baptist history. And you'll find all kinds of vagaries of doctrine for 2,000 years. But when you look at Christian history with a narrower view, that is, if you take out the equation of the Roman church and take out the equation of some of the more dominant Anabaptist movements prior to the Reformation, there's no question you will find a strain of people who truly, at least as much as we know about them historically, died daily to Jesus Christ. And I'll and tell you frankly, had they not, we wouldn't be here. If it were not for people like them who, who made the commitment of life and soul, to their own detriment and their own death even, we, we certainly would not, we would not be here. I wouldn't be here saying the things I'm saying. I, I know that would be, that's true. So this verse becomes all important. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all there. That, it says it all right there. We didn't give himself for nothing, but for something. For you, if you belong to him. But if you belong to him, then belong to him.